Welcome to Healthcare Crossroads, a podcast showcasing the connections we make in healthcare data, compliance, and patient care. We are at a crossroads in healthcare. Let's make an impact by bringing together physicians, nurses, healthcare information management professionals, and legal experts in healthcare. Everyone in healthcare intersects. Let's find out how. This is Healthcare Crossroads. Here is your host, Jennifer McNamara. Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Crossroads podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara. I am your host and we're here once again to talk about the connections we make in compliance, data, and patient care. Very important topic on the show today that I think a lot of our listeners will find fascinating. We're just rushing right into this this new age of technology. It's just kind of rushing forward in our lives, in our industry. And we seem to not be able to keep up these days, understanding all of the, the threats out there, the challenges, and of course, the future, the hope we have of making things better for our patients in general, just for the healthcare industry. And so we're going to talk about cybersecurity today. I know, exciting topic, but when you really sit down and think about the importance of it and how it protects the data that we have, the sensitive data, your data, my data, our family's data, everyone in healthcare, we all are patients at one point in our lives. And we need to understand as a patient, but also how to understand as professionals, the data we touch every day, how to protect it with technology just coming right at us. But we're going to talk and explore um, this landscape that we see ourselves in and how to protect this sensitive patient data. You know, as healthcare continues to embrace these technology advancements, we see the need for more robust cybersecurity measures. Uh, We have electronic health records, telemedicine platforms. Digital transformation has really just exploded in this industry. And it has brought many benefits, as we've seen um, over the last several years. But it also has done what? It has exposed health organizations to unprecedented cyber threats. In this podcast, we're going to uncover some of the challenges that are faced by organizations, strategies that have been employed to protect patient data, and how cybersecurity professionals um, are really vital to organizations. Joining us today is our very special guest, Britton Burton with Coral Technologies. He's an expert in healthcare cybersecurity. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience in protecting patient data, combating cyber attacks, and really ensuring the integrity of healthcare systems. So stay tuned for my interview with Britton Burton. But before then, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. The team at OncoSpark offers a unique opportunity to grow your career in the business of medicine through their virtual specialty conference series. The reality of attending conferences in person is constantly changing. We give you the opportunity to learn virtually from industry leaders in top specialties such as pain management, general surgery, ophthalmology, and orthopedics. We present timely industry topics to help you navigate regulatory guidelines and best practices in coding, billing, and practice management from the experts in the field. Whether you are interested in becoming the go-to expert in your field, providing additional knowledge for your education program, or you're ready to dive into other specialties, we have you covered. Visit sparkadvise.com to learn more. We hope to see you at our 2023 events. Well, as mentioned, I have my very special guest, Britton Burton. Welcome to the show, Britton. Thank you. Really happy to be here. It's very exciting to have you on the show to talk about a really important topic, I feel, in healthcare that we don't really get a lot of uh, buzz about, at least on the business side. You know, we, we talk about, you know, reimbursement, but sometimes we don't really talk a lot about compliance and compliance is so important. And in that we come and we talk about cybersecurity. 
there's some elements in there that we really need to focus on. And what you do um, in your field is so important. But first, before we kind of dig into that topic, I wanted to um, ask you a little bit, we ask all of our guests to kind of give us an insight and a little glimpse into your history and how you got into cybersecurity and especially um, how you got into healthcare. Okay. So I have a very um, abnormal route to cybersecurity. Have always worked in healthcare, actually. Uh, so out of college, so I majored in advertising and minored in marketing in college. You know the uh, the, the typical major of of any current cybersecurity pro professional, right? Uh, so out of college, I spent about five years working in uh, marketing and community relations at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. If any of you are familiar with that, in, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, you know doing that community relations marketing and just over the course of, of a few years of doing that thought I, you know i'm not sure that that's what i want to do for the rest of my life and so did what a lot of you know 20 somethings do and soul search and ask and research and go oh, what what do i want to do and strangely enough that that thing through a series of of conversations and and reading and so on turned out to be an interest in cybersecurity. so uh, decided to go get a master's in, in cyber while I was still working at Vanderbilt in, in the marketing community relations world and was able to, to parlay that into actually a role that, that's that's fairly common um, uh, in, in the cyber world is there's a need for someone who does awareness and training about cybersecurity. And so the, the, the background I had in, in marketing and communications married with that, that kind of burgeoning um, cybersecurity knowledge that I was gaining was, was a perfect transition point. And then from there, it was just sort of make your way into different cybersecurity roles and, and see where it goes. And so that's really how it happened. Uh, you know, every step along the way, every, every opportunity along the way was another, another step in the right direction of, oh, that's an interesting problem to work on in cybersecurity. And then how I stayed in, how I, how I developed a, a career in healthcare was really, you know, the Vanderbilt thing that just kind of happened that, that happened to be the job that I got out of college. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee and Nashville is, if not the healthcare capital of the U.S., at least the healthcare capital of like the southeast or the eastern third of the country, and and probably just of of the U.S. And so there are just a lot of healthcare companies here. Um, and I, I happen to be transitioning into cyber right around the. It was a little before, honestly. It it became so mainstream, but around the time when there was this realization that there's a need for talent uh, in the in the healthcare cybersecurity space, and uh, that's just kind of where where I landed. And so throughout the the roles I've had, I've I've been in healthcare. I understand healthcare and now understand cybersecurity, of course. And as uh, as as my career has gone on, that's just become the area that I'm uh, whatever to whatever degree I am an expert, I, I am that the mostly in, in healthcare uh, specific to cybersecurity. Well, that's excellent. Thank you for telling our listeners all about your history. And yes, you, you definitely, you know, it's, it's, you can tell you have that passion for what you do. Um, and it's really important that we understand this, this area, you know, we've talked about compliance on this show before. Um, so our listeners are familiar and, you know, most of our listeners are in healthcare on the business side. So they understand the importance of compliance within a department. But overall, um, we, we see so many changes happening with technology and the way that the industry is heading where we can't stop it, right? We can't stop where technology is going, but we need to be able to understand how to put safeguards in place, understand the dangers that, that lie out there for us when we combine secure patient data with technology. And so we wanna kind of first ask you, uh, maybe an overview of what you see 
as the current state of healthcare cybersecurity, the challenges that we're facing at this moment in time? Sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're we're in a, a one of the more challenging industries in in the cybersecurity space. Uh, healthcare has a, a really unique set of factors that make it more challenging than than some other industries. Um, so. The one of the key factors is there's uh, there's a there's a target on on the back of of healthcare entities healthcare workers uh, because attackers know that healthcare entities are motivated to pay, and that simply comes down to the fact that um, I'm always careful to talk about like human life being at stake because especially if you have healthcare listeners that that truly do deal with with you know human life saving interactions on a daily basis. I always want to be careful about what role in that cybersecurity plays. But at the very least, there are uh, patient treatment uh, operations and diagnosis operations and just healthcare operations that are um, interrupted through modern day cyber attacks. And so healthcare entities, more so than um, than a lot of industries, have uh, less tolerance for interruption, for downtime, for the types of things that come along with cyber attacks. And so that means they're motivated to pay if they are ransomed, for example, and need to get their data or their systems back. Uh, on top of that, healthcare is lags behind a lot of other industries in terms of security maturity. Um, and that is simply because, well, simple is not the right word. There are, uh, there are you know, years of investment that have been made in other industries that healthcare is catching up to. And, and just with, with time and, and, and investment comes maturity, right? That healthcare is, is still catching up to. Uh, but there's also the, the complexity of the ecosystem. Uh, there are not a lot of industries that have the, the diversity and plethora of the types of digital systems that are now just part and parcel to daily healthcare operations. Uh, when you think about everything from a you know an IP uh, camera to uh, you know a, a connected medical device to an EHR system to a traditional you know laptop com computer server data center type asset that that is just a part of the of the healthcare ecosystem now there's such a wide range of digital assets that need to be secured and that have can ha can have very unique uh, challenges in in implementing that security. Uh, you couple that with the lack of maturity, the fact that we're uh, a, a juicy target because we're motivated to pay and we're one of the most targeted industries and one of the most successfully exploited industries because of, of all of those things. Um, and so that leads to more attacks, more attacks coming because it's working, you're getting in, you're compromising data, you're, you're deploying ransomware, and you're actually getting paid. At the end of the day, this whole uh, this whole industry is based on attackers trying to find the easiest way to the next dollar. Um, and that used to be, you know, the, the old school data breaches and, you know, selling that data on the black, uh, on the black market. Now, a lot of times it's just ransomware a victim and try to get them to pay you some money and you may or may not actually get your data back. So that's kind of the state of healthcare cybersecurity. And there's a lot of things we're doing to try to make it better. Uh, but it is, you know, I think as as a leader, especially if, if your listeners are, are, you know, clinical leaders and, and business leaders in healthcare, but aren't in the trenches of, of cybersecurity every day, one of the best things that they can know and that they can talk to their cybersecurity leader about is that, hey, we, we really are a target and, and here's why it's a problem. 
And here's the very real um, threat that we face that can absolutely impact clinical operations and patient care and rev cycle and, and all those things. Um, and just understanding that it, that it is real and that your your security leader is is not crying wolf um, is 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 the best thing you can do uh, to to understand kind of our our place in the in the uh, in the threat environment right now. Excellent stuff. Yes. I mean, we all need to be thinking about this. Administrators, those that are making those decisions need to be aware. I'm sure that, I mean, of course, at some level they are, but um, if we're still, if we're having these risks, um, it's always good to kind of, you know, take stock of where we are in our organization. What do we have in place? Do we often review that? <laughs> how successful is it? Um, some, some organizations do those checks, right, to see how secure their systems are. Um, I know when I was working at the hospital, we would always get these little fake phishing emails from our uh -huh. <laughs> IT departments. And it was our job to recognize if that was a phishing email, we click the phishing button, right? And so that's right. It's, I remember doing those days of, of recognizing those things, but that's what that's for. Making yourself accountable. Every employee in the organization should be accountable to make sure that the data that they're touching, that they're submitting, right? Um, that they can feel confident that that's secure and it's, it's, it's safe. Um, and I know all of our listeners out there, you know me, I am all about education. That's what I do. Um, and so education plays a huge role in helping employees and organizations stay up to date um, on these topics. Um, so what do you feel organizations can do as far as education? What are some of the you know, benefits to that? And then what have you seen employing where you've been um, that has been successful? Yeah, so it's definitely one of, you know, any anyone in cybersecurity talks about layers of defense, layers of controls. You don't want to have a, a single point of failure. The analogy that you'll you'll often hear is um, if you want to prevent bad guys from breaking into your house, you don't only put a lock on your doors. You know, you may buy an alarm system, you may have a guard dog, you may um, you may put a deadbolt and a lock on that door. You may have, uh, you know, uh, other security mechanisms, uh, cameras, uh, you know, that that protect that place layers of defense around your house. And it's a similar concept with cybersecurity. Cybersecurity in, in the digital realm. It's how many layers of controls can you put in place? You don't want to have that single point of failure. And a lot of those controls, most of the time, we're talking in technical terms uh, about controls, but there are absolutely uh, human-based controls that have to be a part of of, of any program uh, where you're we're trying to mature cybersecurity, and so it's definitely important to have awareness and training. Uh, as I mentioned, that's that's how I actually transitioned into the cybersecurity realm. Uh, the ability, I, I think, the the number one thing to think through. There's all sorts of well, should we have phishing testing, and should we do a a weekly email communication? Should we record our our CEO giving a, a, a you know a, inspirational message about how much we all care about cybersecurity. There's all sorts of like specific tactics you can use to train and educate your people. I think the main thing any cybersecurity leader needs to do is understand that a lot of times we come across as these technical mumbo jumbo guys that no one knows what the heck we're talking about, right? And so whether you're thinking about a, a literal message you want to send to your company or <clears throat> or just thinking about in general, we know we need to make aware and train our people about cybersecurity and their role in it is, is communicating in human terms and not in the technical bits and bytes because we're often uh, not, not great about that. Um, and so 
once you do that, that kind of sets the foundation for, okay, now what are the tactical ways we're going to do it? And certainly you mentioned fishing testing that that's kind of one of those table stakes controls that we, we think you should really be doing no matter what, uh, fishing is still the number one way that most attacks launch. So the more you can train your people on what fishing is, how to spot it, it's getting harder to spot with the, the use of tools like chat GPT and, and other, uh, generative AIs. Um, but the more that you can continually just keep that message of remember, remember fishing, remember fishing, remember fishing. Um, and there are other ways it's manifesting. There's a cons, uh, an attack uh, method called uh, business email compromise. That's it's similar to phishing in that uh, a bag tell you, but it's not about getting you to click a link. It's emailing you that, Hey, I'm the new, uh, account rep for this, this billing service that you run. And, and here's our new, uh, uh, invoicing system and our new, uh, account number. Will you, you know, route some money over to me and you can do that and not realize that it's, it's an attacker. It's, it's not a legitimate thing. There's all sorts of things like that, that you just constantly want to keep your, your people aware of. And so if you have a fish testing program that, that, is continually evolving and keeping up with with the trends that's just the easiest way to do that outside of that it's it's really going to be what we mostly see be successful is not the hey once a year we're going to make sure everyone goes through a two-hour cybersecurity training because everyone hates that <laughs> and it doesn't really go over really well they're multitasking they're not listening if you're dealing with clinicians they don't have two hours to spend on that kind of thing anyway like they can barely do their their clinical um, CE training that they need to do in two hours, right? So it's really more the the quick bites. Can you insert a thirty second video into, you know, the the employee uh, uh, the, the employee newsletter that goes out to all employees that's that's sent by company leadership and not by security or IT? You know, can you can you find your way into um, into uh, presentations that your that your c-suite is giving to to get one slider of hey remember cybersecurity these are the three things we care about with cybersecurity it's it's like trying to find avenues like that uh, that are quick bite that are just in time learning um that that prevent you from forcing people through the mandatory two hour you still may have to do that because there's some clients some compliance boxes that sometimes have to be checked but i wouldn't rely on that as your main awareness strategy uh, really finding that more kind of um, in-stream way that you can get to people uh, that that hopefully they'll actually pick up on and 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 you know internalize as opposed to the uh, the two-hour annual annual deal. I 100% agree. I feel like in nowadays people are just wanting quick information. They're kind of just they don't sit still these days, right? They're just kind of all over the place and they're always in doing something. And um, so I think that short bursts of education that are done sporadically throughout a calendar year or throughout a quarter um, is so much more effective than just hitting them with a two hour presentation once a year. Like, <laughs> I feel like we talk about right. annual education, but like education should be a constant in an organization where they don't, cause you know, I'm like a squirrel with, with stuff sometimes. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that something about that, but it was like three months ago. And so if you keep it in front of them constantly, there's, there's really no chance of forgetting it because it's constantly there. It's maybe five minutes, 10 minutes uh, to watch this, or like you said, a newsletter, some brief little snippet of something to remember that way it's there. And I feel like people, like, like I mentioned, they, they have this idea of wanting convenience and they want it quick and fast. And Unfortunately, that 
and that mentality has creeped its way into healthcare because patients, of course, like convenience and they like being able to get on portals and access their information, but there's threats to, to their security with, with convenience, I find. Um, so what do you think are some of the challenges that we're seeing with convenient access, but also these technologies? What do we need to be aware of when we decide to employ convenience and what are the, the dangers of that? Yeah, so that's kind of a, a microcosm of what I just descri would describe as the overall third-party risk problem in healthcare. That's another really interesting um, aspect of why healthcare is particularly uh, troubled as as, a, as an industry in terms of uh, being a juicy target and, and successful attacks uh, is that whole ecosystem of all these digital assets that I talked about that are a part of the of the modern day uh, healthcare uh, operations. A lot of that depends on third parties who develop those portals for you, who develop the incredible, you know, medical device modality that, of, of course, a, an internal hospital staff is, is not going to have the capability to to build or, or create themselves. Um, and all of these all of these technological innovations, of course, come with the the goal of better patient outcomes, uh, better throughput, more efficient operations, you know, whatever it might be. So none of them are bad uh, on on their surface. But every single thing you do that you bring into your your uh, your ecosystem uh, that is managed, created, developed by a third party creates another exposure point that you you as the healthcare entity, you as the healthcare security team, uh, don't have control over, right? And so um, the main thing I would say there is you you have to be doing something to manage your third party risk. The, the, the problem with the industry right now is that something is is all over the map and everyone's doing it differently. There is not a gold standard. There's not a, a consistent way that's done. And it creates burden, not just on the healthcare entities, but on the vendors themselves, because they have to respond to third-party risk uh, processes in different ways for 400 different clients. And so one of the challenges in the industry, and, and we can get into this more later, if that's a, a question you're going to ask, is, is about how do, we, how do we coalesce around an actual better way forward there? But generally speaking, especially for your audience who probably aren't cybersecurity practitioners themselves, is just think about what are the, what's that thing that you want to bring into your ecosystem that will make a patient's life easier, more convenient. Um, uh, uh, portals are a great example. HRs are going to the cloud and there's a portal component that the patient can access uh, to their appointment. All very important things. I, I know that I have had frustration in my own life when I need to reset my, my PCP appointment and I currently can't do that online and I'm in meetings all day. I don't have time to pick up the phone and call and I'm, I'm like, can you please just get this online, right? Um, <clears throat> so cybersecurity professionals are people too, right? We get it. <laughs> um, uh, but just know that, hey, we're doing this and, and here's why here are the business reasons why here are the clinical reasons why that's that's first and foremost always but you are potentially creating a new exposure point from a cybersecurity uh standpoint and you need to have a process where it, it, whether it's your own internal team you're buying a a platform that does it you're you're hiring an outsource team whatever it is that goes hey acme corporation who's selling this cool portal where our uh, patients can log in and do cool things what is your security process? Do you have a security certification? What does your control posture look like? And it's not because you can instantly snap your fingers and tell them, go fix all your problems, but at least you are making informed decisions about the technologies and the innovations that you're bringing in. 
and you're doing that through the lens of, of uh, business logic and not just uh, not just IT, not just cybersecurity people uh, saying, oh, this is a problem. Like it, it all needs to be a part of your, your business process, your procurement process. It needs to be tied in with that. Uh, you're, you're going to want to do the things that make your patient's lives easier, but just know that 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 exposure point is is exists or is being created by some new innovation. And do you have the right processes in place to understand the controls, the security posture of that of that third party of that cool innovation hub that that's coming in so that you're making an informed decision about, yeah, maybe there's three vendors that do this exact same thing. And this one looks pretty good from a security standpoint, but this one doesn't, we can still achieve our business outcomes, but be in a, in a safer place to not experience that breach event or that, that, that security incident that no one wants to wake up to it, you know, at two o'clock on a Saturday morning. Absolutely. You made some really great points. And I think you'll probably agree that nothing really tells this story better than the last three years trying to navigate through telehealth. It's one of those things that everyone was having to jump in and figure out. And um, with some of the regulatory uh, things in place with some of our insurance payers making allowances for different things, you know, obviously it wasn't possible to be as HIPAA compliant as required for telehealth previously, because we had to make allowances. And um, now we have regulatory laws in place. The, the government has said the, the, the public health emergency is technically over as of May 11th. Um, but there have been some, you know, leniencies on, you know, getting that specific software in place. And I would just like your thoughts on that. You know, what do you what do you think is going to happen and why do we need to be more careful about this? I know we're probably used to the platform we're using, but what are some questions to ask specifically for a telehealth platform? I want our listeners to know this because a lot of them ask questions to me about telehealth and making okay. sure they're following the rules. And I think it's a really great topic to just kind of just touch the basics and, and what we should be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, you know, the, the end of the uh, uh, public emergency was recent announcement. I well, last month or so. Right. If I recall correctly. Yeah. And, and it was kind of like all the, all the safe, or I mean, all the safe harbors of, about using telehealth that had been in place for a couple of years, those are those are about to end. So make sure you're doing the right thing. So I mean, so first of all, first and foremost, hopefully, you have listeners that yeah, maybe they knew it wasn't a fully HIPAA compliant uh, solution that they had to use uh, in in the midst of the pandemic. Um, but that they were at least gearing up to like, we know this isn't permanent and and we can't just, uh, you know, kind of close our eyes and, and hope that, that nothing goes wrong. Hopefully that's the case. Um, if not, if if you were just kind of like, hey, they said it's fine. We got to care for patients. Let's roll. Um, there's a few things you can do. I mean, so one awareness now, you know, like the the, the pandemic has, has been declared over for the this safe harbor. Um, the second would be this is actually an interesting kind of the nexus of privacy and cybersecurity, there's actually kind of a privacy risk assessment you can do with those telehealth tools that, that you don't have to get into a ton of technical cybersecurity details if you don't want to, uh, because a lot of the telehealth stuff uh, around the, uh, the, uh, the emergency order was, was basically around who can see the data, where's the data going, more, more of a privacy angle than a cybersecurity angle. Um, so there, there's a few things. If you, if you, if you have a, a HIPAA privacy checklist that you think of with, with everything you do from an operational standpoint um, within your own four walls, can you apply that to your telehealth solution? Again, doesn't have to be technical. It can be privacy in nature and think, is there anything that's not landing here? Is there anything that feels a little weird? And then investigate that. 
from a cybersecurity standpoint, it really just becomes, it's, it's another third party example. Um, you're probably not building your own telehealth platform. You're probably buying from one of these, these uh, vendors that, that sells these, these unique platforms. It's usually some combination of like a, uh, a, a robot that's in a, in a facility somewhere and a, a cloud backend that's, you know, the connection point where the person at home on their phone or on their laptop can, can connect to the, the physician or the, the whoever in a, in a, uh, in, in a hospital or in a, in a clin clinical setting. Um, it, it's basically just the, it's kind of what we just talked about, uh, a minute ago with the third party stuff. Do you, do you know who the vendor is? Do you know what the technology is? Do you know where data is going and do you know enough about their security posture, meaning the controls that they've implemented to know that it's you're comfortable with it? If you can answer both of those questions and, and it's more than two questions, <laughs> right? But if but those sets of questions, those privacy, um, privacy details that you need to understand and then the cybersecurity technical controls questions that you need to understand, then, then you're probably okay. The main thing is just, are you vetting it? It that really, at the end of the day, it, it needs to not just be that, well, we, we bought this telehealth platform because we had to during the pandemic and we're still using it. And I don't really know what any of this stuff means. Like if you have some kind of due diligence process, um, to, to, to understand the risk from a privacy and security standpoint, and then to either ask for remediation from the vendor or, or accept certain risk. I mean, you have to accept certain risks as long as you're within your, your HIPAA compliant, uh, parameters, then, then you're probably okay. Um, then, then that's what you've got to do. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It's so important to just really walk yourself through those steps and don't rush into anything. I know we, we kind of had to, but now that we have this opportunity now to learn from that experience and to protect our patient data and to make them still feel like they have a way to communicate um, with us as, as physicians and, and, and clinical you know, people taking care of us, because there's patients that really do need telehealth. Um, our communities are, you know, uh, have seen the benefits of it, um, especially in, you know, um, areas where you have remote um, people living in areas where they can't get to a physician as, as, as easily as before. And so it was a really great benefit. Behavioral health services was truly benefited from, from, from this um, aspect. So we want to keep it, we want to keep it secure and safe for our patients. And patients now are really interested in this stuff too. You know, believe it or not, they're getting more involved in their healthcare, trying to understand what is happening to their data. So uh, from a patient aspect, I want to, we do have people that are patients like us listening, sure. and uh, we, we do get patients, those that are not in healthcare listening from time to time. So how can patients even contribute to their own healthcare cybersecurity and protect their own data? Sure. Yeah. There's, there's a few different things that come to mind. I, I mean, you know, first, first and foremost, if, if you're logging on to the portals that your providers uh, make available to you. If you're doing some of the things over the internet with, uh, you know, whether it be telehealth or any kind of interaction that involves your computer or your phone, there, there's just a few kind of telltale signs of is is this provider uh, of uh, either the provider of of care or the provider of the technology, and sometimes it's it's the same. Uh, are, are they doing the right things? So there's going to be some some little telltale signs, like when you enroll in that patient portal for the first time. What was that enrollment process? Did you just kind of show up and get a username and a password? Did they do something to uh, to authenticate you in some way? Meaning like in some cases you literally have to, it's inconvenient, but you literally have to go in and physically show a driver's license to someone to say, 
I am Britain. This, this is my account because this will allow me to access my own medical record. There are more uh, modern ways to do that that don't involve driving somewhere and showing a license, but there should be some kind of process like that. Um, and then they should also enforce that you have some kind of two-factor authentication, which I, I think most people know what that is, but just, just in case it's not, it's you don't just log in with a password. You have to use a, a one-time code that you can have texted to you or can use authenticator apps that provide to you. And, and that's a pretty common thing with these kinds of things. Now, I'm not just talking if you go in and kind of look for a doctor, but if you're actually logging in in some way and sharing information about yourself with your healthcare facility or with your provider in some way, there should be a few steps like that, that you're, you're taking, um, that if you're doing it, you can go, Hey, I, I don't, I know, I don't know every single control they have, but if they're doing that, it's a pretty good indicator. Um, are they messaging you? Like, are you getting emails with a bunch of data attached to them about your personal health? Or are they messaging you through their portal and saying, click here, for an encrypted message about my your health information. That's what a lot of these portals exist to do is to provide that secure communication capability that is very clunky and not fun to do if you try to kind of replicate it through traditional email. Um, so, so that's a couple of examples that, that you can uh, look out for when you're, when you're actually interacting with your provider. Um, another thing that's a slightly different angle is the the personal health apps and, and wearables. Um, this is a, and I don't know how much you, you've talked about this with um, the uh, FTC really starting to come down on those that, that are non-HIPAA regulated, um, uh, you know, devices and, and applications. It's, it's your, the thing on your phone where you track your sleep or you track your, your heart monitor or, um, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, um, the prescription tools that exist that give you cheaper prescriptions, like th those have not traditionally been covered by HIPAA, just by the way the law was written. And, but you're still putting a bunch of your personal health data in them. It's a very similar uh, data set to what is at your traditional providers, you know, in your EHR, your medical record. And it's really kind of been the wild, wild west. It's been an awkward spot for healthcare entities because we feel this pressure of, compliance, compliance with HIPAA, prove your cybersecurity program, you know, in some cases do things that maybe aren't the best um, uh, um, operational um, efficiency things for your, your business and your clinicians, because you have to be able to say we comply with HIPAA <laughs> and yet, oh, by the way, connect an API to this uh, wearable that's going to send a bunch of data into your EHR and the wearable has, doesn't have the same rules. Um, and so it's a weird space. So I, again, I'm not telling you not to use wearable. I, that's another thing security people do a lot. Just don't use that stuff. Well, that's not, that's not great advice. If, if you, if you need that wearable, if you need that health tracking app, because it's helping you count calories or, or whatever it might be, like you should do that, but you, you need to understand that they're much less regulated than your doctor's offices. Um, and the, and the tools that, that your doctor makes available to you through, you know, through their kind of corporate IT shop. Um, and just be aware of what you're putting in there. Maybe, maybe don't put your date of birth, social security number, last name uh, in that app. Maybe just put your first name <laughs> and then you can put your count your calories in it. Right. Um, but that's that's the kind of thing you should be aware of. It, it's interesting with the FTC. It sounds like maybe that's going to change because uh, they've come down really, really hard on like GoodRx and a few others um, that were sharing personal data about their users. But 
as of now, we're sort of at the beginning of the tipping point of that change. And you should just be aware that it's it's probably not as secure as maybe you just assume it is because to the average user, it seems like it's just another healthcare app. And don't they have that HIPAA thing that makes them keep it secure? Um, that That's probably not the case. Yeah, I think um, the everyday consumer probably just assumes, you know, like they do with everything else, that things are regulated and everything in healthcare that you use has to have some kind of checks. And um, it, it's it's different when you when you really are in it and you kind of see the the differences in these vendors and and companies just popping up, creating just whatever tool they want to create because they feel there is a market for it, and they don't really maybe even themselves understand. They just want to get it on the market and make a profit, and they don't necessarily right. take the time to go through all those checks and balances. And great stuff. So great stuff. So I think our listeners are really going to love uh, replaying this episode over and over again, because we all really need to remind ourselves of these things. And, you know, you've been in this a long time. And I think there probably are the others out there listening that have that bug as well. So what advice would you give to individuals that are interested in pursuing a career in healthcare cybersecurity? Well, I, the first advice would be there's a huge talent shortage. So if you uh, if you find this to be an interesting topic, um, certainly if you're technically inclined, but honestly, even if you're not, look at my background, I, I've never been an, an, an engineer. I never want to be an engineer, but I've still managed to make a really good career, uh, in cybersecurity. I would just say, explore it because there are, um, there are a ton of jobs. There's a need for people who can, whether it is highly technical roles or just someone like me who can kind of talk to, to, I call them normal people <laughs> who can talk to normal people about these complex cybersecurity topics. Um, there are roles out there that can exist for you. And, you know, some of them can be very lucrative roles and you can have a really good career, provide for yourself, provide for your family. Uh, I, for me, it was, I was sort of attracted to the concept of like defending people and, and protecting people. There's something kind of noble about the concept of cybersecurity. And so if, if for any reason, if any of that kind of tickles your fancy or you're considering a career change, um, there is a need and we need people. And specifically in healthcare, we need people. Uh, honestly, in, in, in any industry, there, there's a need for cybersecurity people. But the, the thing that's cool about healthcare, and, and I certainly heard this a lot through my career when I was uh, actually on the, the provider side, you know, defending networks of hospitals and so on, was there is um, a more... It's, it's much more about the mission when you actually work at a healthcare facility. You work every day with clinicians who are actually caring for people. And that's part of why I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm always kind of hesitant to throw cybersecurity into like the patient life conversation. It can have tentacles into that, but I really want to be careful with that because I've worked with people every day who are truly dealing with that. And when your mission is the care and improvement of human life, making people well, making sure people get diagnosed, get to their appointments... Um, it's it's a different kind of lens that you wake up with every day, uh, whether you're actually, you know, going to check the, the the blood pressure of a patient or going to sit in a security operations center to monitor threat alerts. Um, uh, it, it can be a really interesting field. So that, that's where I'd start. Um, secondly, I would say, again, you don't have to be super technically inclined to find your way into cybersecurity. It helps if you have an IT background, it certainly helps because you can already speak some of the language that you're going to need to eventually learn to speak. Um, but there are all kinds of roles in, in risk management. Uh, privacy is not cybersecurity. They're two very separate things. Uh, anyone who has a legal background can usually do pretty well in privacy. 
Um, but there are ways to get into these fields that it may sound like it's a super complicated. How, how do these people get into these? All you have to do is look at me. Not, not granted, I did go get a master's degree, but um, you don't necessarily have to even do that because there's there's enough demand for people. And if you have a proclivity to learn, you're willing to try something new. Um, it really just becomes a matter of finding an opportunity. And there are all kinds of, you know, <clears throat> smaller ways you can commit to showing you want to learn about it, like obtaining certifications um, and things like that that don't require you to go to two years of grad school or go back to undergrad or 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 whatever. Um, and then honestly, if you if you are in an adjacent uh, profession like IT, you may not even need to do that because you may be doing aspects of, you know, um, I'm in IT and I work in identity and access right now. We provision access all day, every day and build access systems. Well, that's that's cybersecurity already, right? So there, there's a lot of ways to kind of move over um, that that you may not have thought about because you think it's we're like these wizards that wear cybersecurity hats. And I promise you we're not. Um, so so I would say remove the fear and and be open to the concept. And, and there's some cool opportunities. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and we're definitely going to put your information in our show notes, but tell our audience where they can find you if they're curious to learn more from you. Sure. Yeah. Easiest way is just hit me up on, on LinkedIn, uh, Britton Burton on there. Um, you can go to our company's website, coraltechnologies.com and, and see what we're doing in cybersecurity risk management and uh, third-party risk management. Uh, but mostly LinkedIn, uh, hit me up. I would love to talk to any of you. If you are curious about cybersecurity as a profession, or you feel like you you might need some you know, assistance with professional services in the cybersecurity realm, that, that's what we do and uh, uh, happy to connect. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for listening today. It's been a great, great episode talking to Britain here. And once again, we want to thank our sponsors over at OncoSpark and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healthcare Crossroads. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss a show. Thank you to our sponsors at OncoSpark. OncoSpark is a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company. They help you effectively manage claims data with technology solutions. Check out their website to learn more at www.oncospark.com. Thank you, OncoSpark.